louder. Recording live from the Black Lodge, it's me, the free will burning, head-turning, ass-kicking, machismo-dripping, master podcasting mouthpiece of the Southeast, uncontested superstar of the airwaves, and your reigning and defending podcast champion of the world, Brandon A. Lane, bringing you a new edition of You Just Got Busted, a real Ghostbusters podcast. You better flip the switch on those neutronal wands because tonight myself and Fat Tony are opening up the ecto-containment unit and taking aim at the second season episode Sea Fright and Janine Melnitz Ghostbuster to once and for all decide if busting makes us feel good or if these episodes are just plain busted. But first, here's some messages from our sponsors. <laughs> The real Ghostbusters will return after these messages. Do you love metal? Are you a nerd? Well, have I got the podcast for you. It's the Metal Thrashing Nerd Podcast. Hosted by me, Metal Thrashing Mike. And every episode, I'll be bringing you fans from the world of underground heavy metal. Just waiting for you to hear them. So go check us out on all major streaming services as the Metal Thrashing Nerd Podcast. Come on down to Mass by Lance, premium Friday the 13th custom-made hockey match down there in Tennessee by Lance McKinney. Find him on Facebook and Instagram over at Mass by Lance. Go order one now, boy! Assholes, it's me, Boner the Skeleton, mascot of the Rants from the Black Lodge podcast, here to sell you some shit you probably can't afford. Are you low on cash? That's not a problem. Sell your blood. Sell your children. Go to the jack-off clinic and give them a sperm sample. We don't care how you get the money as long as you give it to us. Would you like a t-shirt? A mug or a sticker to show that you're a true friend and a member of the Rant Army? Well, all you gotta do is go to RantArmy.com. And if you don't buy something, then fuck ya! Dive into the new action-packed thriller, Mr. Black. This is a story about a mafia hitman, Mr. Black whose latest target is nothing like he's had to deal with before. Mr. Valentino is a man that's into the dark arts, who calls on the Grim Reaper to kill Black. However, the spell fails to be fully successful, as he is still murdered. Now, Death himself is pursuing Mr. Black relentlessly. Now who can Black turn to for help? Who can stop a curse like this? Get Mr. Black on Amazon Books, or as a digital download on Kindle. All right, welcome back, Rant Army. I hope you're ready to show this prehistoric bitch how we do things downtown, because tonight we got a date with a ghost. I'm your host, Brandon A. Lane, and joining me tonight to discuss episode 17 of The Real Ghostbusters, better known as Sea Fright, is my good friend, the Bear in the Booze, Fat Tony. Hey, I'm glad to be here on this show. Brandon, that told me about 
while back about thinking about doing a, a watch along. I think this ad is better. You know, hit a couple episodes, talk the highlights, not a complete walkthrough. And I'm sure if me and him were watching this show as a watch along, drinking a little bit, usually something problematic would be said by one of us and we'd be canceled. Absolutely. Um, I think uh, just in this marathon of recording we've done today, we've said some yeah. some things that... Uh, Unforgivable. Thankfully, we're not recorded. We are, we, we're not allowed to heaven and hell won't take us. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, my first question is that, movie aside, what is your relationship with the real Ghostbusters animated series? Oh, I grew up on it. I, I always wanted the toys and never got to have a lot of them. I got to have like the the proton pack with the thing, a couple of the face contorting ones, fright uh, features, fright features. Uh, as I was telling Brandon, my grandmother, bless her heart, you know, as all grandparents or older people do for young kids, saw a VHS tape at a store that said the Ghostbusters and cartoon. I'm like, okay, I'll get that. And obviously, it was the the namesake of where they got it. From the filmation. gorilla from filmation exploiting the popularity of the actual Ghostbusters movie, which uh, I mean that's a whole can of worms in itself. Yeah, it's a whole which thing. is which is something that we uh, covered in detail on our real Absolutely. Ghostbusters episode. I love the show. Uh, it, that episode, mind you, is on our old RSS feed before we moved to Project Louder. Uh, Maurice Lamarche, who voices Egon, you know. A well-renowned uh, actor of oh yeah, of, great. Uh, of, you know, voice caliber. He's he's top notch. Uh, he appears and gives us uh, you know. A you little... can also go there to find the best episode, Nightmare on Elm Street Two. It's not okay. on our normal feed. There you go. Let's get into our technical info. This episode, Sea Fright, originally aired September seventeenth, nineteen eighty-seven. I'm How... six. You were six years old. Yeah. I would be, let's see, 87, I'd be three years old at this point. I have to stop you. This was a Saturday morning cartoon show, and I had to pick in advance, since I was Seventh-day Adventist, to set the VCR to record. I knew how to program a VCR. Maybe not that, yeah, no, honestly, probably around that time. And would have to watch this after sundown on Saturday. So it's a more cozy, spooky environment to watch the real Ghostbusters. Do you think that the time of day in which you were to view this as a child would have impacted its effect in terms of the spookiness? On this show, yeah, definitely. Because I actually, you know, as like at like 10 years old, we were talking about this with a buddy of mine who was around my same age, who was also Adventist. And we talked like some of the episodes we loved. You know, they were kind of spooky, and sometimes watching in that night made it better. Other shows, it kind of fucked up. Like, who wants to watch, like, Camp Candy or... Yeah, it was a John Candy... I, uh, yeah. I vaguely remember. Saturday, uh, you know, I'm not saying Saturday morning cartoon show at night, but in this instance, it did help. Now, as two old fucks who then were young, impressionable youths, we witnessed many crazy things in the world of pop culture. So before we discuss the episode at hand, let's highlight what was going on in the world of pop culture on September 17th, 1987. Do you have any idea what the number one song on the Billboard charts was that day? Madonna or Michael Jackson, maybe? No, you're you're half right. Oh. Um, and I do not remember this song whatsoever. It is a collaboration between Michael Jackson and a person named Sadia Garrett, who I have no mm. fucking clue who they are, but it's a song called I Just Can't Stop Loving You. Now, I'm fairly familiar with the classic 
lineup yeah. of, of singles that Michael Jackson released. Don't know that one. This one has completely evaporated from history. Maybe we both got molested to it and blocked it from our minds. <laughs> no, it's, it's not funny, but yeah. It's Fuck the, Michael Jackson. It, rotten hell. Fair, fair enough. <laughs> fair enough. Any idea what the number one album on the Billboard charts was? I'm still going to Thriller. I don't know. No, this would be Thriller's way... 84, yeah. That would be way... Earlier. Uh, 87? Uh, I don't know. It's the La, the La Bamba motion picture soundtrack by Los Lobos. Was I mean, the, I could see that. I remember, like, I didn't go to the theaters to see it with my parents, but I remember they loved it when it came out on video. Yeah, Lou Diamond Phillips. Fuck you. Re- rep- <laughs> okay, fuck you, Lou Diamond he Phillips. Was, he was culturally appropriated. Isn't he native, or does he appropriate native when he plays native? And, or is he Hispanic? He's doing something wrong in one movie or another. Because he's do, played Native and hey, Latinx hey, characters. Li- listen, fuck you. He was in Young Guns. I'll show you. Up. You beat me know, to it. Yeah. You, know, you know who else was in Young Guns? Emilio Estevez. And he had the number one movie at the box office with Richard Dreyfuss, a little film called Stakeout. That's a good movie. It is a good movie. I, I very- saw it, like, actually, like, I didn't see that for the first time until high school. I rented it randomly from uh, Showbiz Video. Yeah, uh, really, really funny comedy. Um, Second one with Rosie O'Donnell, horrible. Never watch it. Is there a sequel? There is Stakeout 2 with Rosie O'Donnell. Is it called Another Stakeout? Another Stakeout. Oh my God, maybe I have seen it. It's not worth remembering. It It didn't traumatize you. It's so bland and worthless, it slid right out of your brain after it was over. I com- I, well, I had completely forgotten about it until you brought it up, so I guess that checks out. We've set the stage for what was going on in the world uh, during September of 1987, but the question remains, where was I on, on that day? Now, you've kind of laid it out, the, the seven-day Adventist yeah. thing had kind of prevented you from enjoying it during those times. Now... Because you were unable to watch it, like how would you spend your Saturday morning? Church. That sounds terrible. We went to church instead of going on Sundays. We went. I'd be in Sabbath school, and then we'd go to church till till and noon. Not the kind of Sabbath school that I would want to go no, to. Black Sabbath school. <laughs> yes. And like, uh, and then like we go around. And at this point in time, this was before my dad had his conversion to Seventh Day Adventist. So he could be downstairs if he was not selling cars and he had the day off watching TV, having a great old time. I had to run upstairs to my room and like play with toys and stuff. Mom would cook cook dinner. Dad would stop the TV so we could come down and eat lunch and he respected it that much. And thankfully with his religious conversion, like in the early nineties, that's when the whole TV rule, he did that for a couple of weeks. He's like, ah, we can watch mash on the Sabbath. Mash is good. And then it's expanded right. from there. Bless you, Roger Mafford. <laughs> but yeah, that's what I would do in my day. If I or I'd go to my friend Cody's house, who's that's the one we had talks, deep philosophical talks for children about this show, about how how much more imaginative it was, how it would have been great if they could do some of these plots in a movie. Oh, I but I this actually, was one of my staples of Saturday morning. Like if I didn't record that, was this ABC? ABC, ABC. There were days I'd alternate Saturdays. I'd go ABC one week, and then maybe like oh. CBS. I think so. I loved Camp Candy and Wish Kid with Macaulay Culkin. It's weird. That is a weird lineup. Um, although this, particularly this episode, is from season two. That's the syndicated season. Yeah. So these episodes did appear on ABC, but they were also sold in packages like USA. When I was a kid, um, like before school, they would have yeah early in the morning. Uh, early you in the morning, sketch it. There was always real Ghostbusters yeah. right before I get on the bus. And uh, do you remember 
seeing this episode as a kid? No, not this one. Like we just watched it and I have feelings about it, you know, either way, but you know, they're, they're the specific episodes I saw are like that. I can remember my reaction watching when they first ran are the big ones. You know, the ones we all know, Sam Hain and his shit. The Boogeyman. The Boogeyman. The Boogeyman is my all-time favorite episode. When we do that, this is going to be a three-hour episode. <laughs> when a, a, a TV show's willing to let you open up and let your heroes have weaknesses, that's where I got this. Their vulnerability, Egon's vulnerability to the Boogeyman fundamentally shifted something in my head and helped me grow up a little. But anyway, that's well, not this episode. Well, let's let's talk about our cast of this episode, which is Seafright from Season 2. We have the... Voice of Garfield himself, Lorenzo Music, as the original, and my opinion, best Peter Vankman of yeah. the cast. We have the immortal Frank Welker, uh, among the greatest voice talents to ever have existed as Ray yeah. Stance and Slimer. Uh, we have Arsenio Hall as the original Winston Zedmore in animated form. Yeah. And we have Maurice LaMarche as Egon Spangler, who has graced this podcast. Didn't Frank Welker also do the ghost bump? ghost logo voice maybe they're talking about the bumpers in between yeah, the bumpers in between. now the ground goes because it kind of sounds like it's, it's very it's very possible that's it's him it i mean him. if you're getting i didn't mean to put you on the spot no, 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 you're, no you're not but if you're gonna get frank welker for your show you're gonna ring every fucking out. penny you can out of him because even then he was hugely lauded oh, yeah interestingly we we see janine in this episode but she doesn't have any lines of dialogue which is sort of a shitty way to have a character in an episode but not have to pay the actor. So that's kind of an interesting... But I mean, women are best seen, not heard, right? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> um, actually, I love you, I'm, Sarah, I'm, and all my teenage stepdaughters. Laura Summer, who voices Janine, um, I don't know what it is about this incarnation specifically. She's doing a little more of the Annie Potts kind of route with like the the, yeah. like the tough New Yorker voice. There's that combination of that that New Yorker voice, that red hair, and those pointy green glasses makes me harder than a diamond in a fucking snowstorm. Oh yeah. So um, this show definitely. Help me on the realization that gir- girls could be cool. Girls could be all right. Uh, well, actually, I wasn't like, oh, you yeah, give me them tooties, you know, at seven years old or six. We're gonna highlight Janine a lot more in our next episode. Oh, yeah. But let's let's talk about uh, more about Sea Fright. We have some guest uh, people doing go- uh, guest voices. We have a gentleman by the name of Jack Angel who's pulling pulling triple duty. He plays Captain Jack, uh, p- a policeman, and Ghost number four. Which one is ghost number four? I have no He's fucking the idea. One. Yeah, it's obvious. He's um, Chris Angel's stepdad. And Chris Angel took his, he adopted Chris Angel from Chris Angeletti in a marriage. And I'm just playing. I was going with the dumb joke. Chris Angel's like 10 years irrelevant. You just, you just mind freaked me. I mind freaked oh you. Oh my <laughs> God. Um, Jack's career goes all the way back to the 70s where he was the voice of Hawkman and the Flash on the Super Friends. But... I will always remember him from arguably my favorite cartoon as a kid. He was King Zarkon on Voltron. I liked Voltron. I was more of a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, G.I. Joe, like the the core Transformers. Voltron was just like a little too Japanese-y, I guess, it, for it, me. Very, I don't mean to say that in a racist well, way. It's it, from its... Foreign origins, I was able to detect that. Well, they 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 censored the fuck out of it and redubbed yeah, it because exactly. King Beast Go Lion is what Voltron is based off of. And in that series, 
you have, there's fucking basically like sexual, a lot of sexual like uh, aggression towards Hot. women. Basically just oh. shy of rape. You have people oh, being, you have people being raped, not raped, but uh, whipped. Oh. <laughs> this, it's not an X-rated cartoon, but you have people being whipped to death. Characters actually die. Whereas in Voltron, it's like, oh, well, they went to a different planet. Yeah. You know? So King Beast Go Line is fucking awesome. But I still, I love I love Voltron growing up. Man, being the voice of Hawkman in the Flash, like that that was big deal. Like you were did you ever watch Super Friends growing I up? I watch it way later in life, like, you know, when I discovered marijuana <laughs> and it would be on like uh Cartoon it, Network. Was it was it Cartoon Network that would show it every now and yeah. then? Okay, yeah, Cartoon Network. If I was blazed out, is I I'm not a big 70s, 60s era superhero cartoon guy. Super Friends is sort of this weird intermingling of classic and contemporary because they they sort of portrayed these characters in their like Silver Age persona, like the way yeah. they were portrayed in comics, but they have the, uh, oh my God, I'm blanking on the Hosea... Uh, uh, Oh my God! No, 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 no! The the Jose Garcia Lopez is his name. Is a a the uh, artist. They have basically the uh, post Crisis on Infinite Earths look to them, or at least in the later seasons. But they, I don't know. It's it's a weird cartoon because it's tr- it's trying to appeal to a uh, two masters. You know, yeah. people of the comic books and uh, of of your and then the people reading comic books at the same time and it doesn't quite work especially now in rewatching those those oh yeah now it's super, a great super ironic rewatch just like the miss spider spider woman or whatever i like i was listening to something about it and I'm like surely that cartoon's not that bad and insane like from the 70s no it's fucking crazy as shit <laughs> Car- cartoons had a tendency of going off the rails uh, back in the day. Anyways. It was like episode two, it was off the rails. Uh, we also have Burton Sharp, who is also playing Triple Duty, playing the character of Max. Uh, captain, I'm guessing that's the captain of the first ship we see. Yeah. The one, the, the, the human living The human captain, captain yes. And then... Guess what? He's the. This is the voice of Ghost Number Five. Well, Ghost Number Five was the one with the jaw hooked up, obviously, who wants to molest a, a mannequin. <laughs> we'll, Actually, we'll, there's we'll, a, get, to we'll get to that. There's the the highlight of this show is that scene. I'm going to absolutely agree with you. I got some extensive notes about it. Actually, Burton had a had a like a handful of voice credits to his name, but his claim to fame, a voice actor, but in a different capacity. He's an ADR coordinator, and he worked on s- several movies from like Delta Force, Rambo 3, 7, Mortal Kombat, Army of Darkness, Dark Man, Child's Play 3, and about a thousand other well-known movies. So It's awesome. I mean, I mean, doing like these animated shows is probably a lot of fun, but let's just be honest, unless you are like the top one percent, you're probably not making Oh R. I. P. um Kevin Conroy. Oh, Kevin Conroy. We're talking about cartoon and voice actors. I had to say I don't get that sad about celebrity deaths that aren't like, you know, music related or something like that. I saw that my chest deflated and the entire rest of my day went like a nightmare at work. It was like karma because, you know, Batman the Animated Series and all the other things he's done Batman-related were such an integral part of childhood, teenage years, and adulthood with all the DC movies he did and shit. Fucking awesome. Animated. So, 
I technically did get to meet uh, him at a convention. My buddy, uh, Johnny, shout out to Johnny, stood in line forever to meet him. And when we got up to there, the his handler was like, you cannot ask him any questions about Batman the Animated Series. And we're like, well, what the fuck What else? year was this? Uh, this was, I don't know. This has been in like the past decade. Well, I mean, if it's like the the higher end of decade before the resurgence and, you know, him getting more famous again over it and, you know, getting a little bit more love for the old series. I don't know. I just thought it was strange because it's like every person who's in line knows him. That's well, what he was they also in Justice League. Like he was in later cartoons that uh, the fucking guy who who made the show produce it. Not I want to say Kim Feige, but that's MCU. Oh, um, fuck. Uh, uh, Bruce Tim. Bruce Tim. Um, who who Bruce Tim runs the DC animated better than Kevin Feige does the MCU. I love the DC animated movies. Well, he's still, fucking amazing. He's still playing Batman though, and yeah, I know it should. They're just dicks. It's like the dick who um, Colt forty five Lando Calrissian. What's his name? <laughs> oh fuck! You're putting me on the spot. I have his autograph literally yeah, right outside and he of here. Said the N word and threw you off. Oh dude. Anyway, I, he was at yeah. a convention in Gatlinburg. And everybody's like, "How much? How much?" I just walked up and like, "Hey, how much for an autograph?" Because he did not have a line. And this fucking handler bitch, like, you pay over here and you do over here. I'm like, I don't care. I don't want it. It was like forty fucking dollars. And if I'd had an empty Colt forty five and a hundred dollars to burn, maybe. But you know. The hand, it could be the handler being a, a dick over maybe Bruce Tim or not Bruce Tim, but Kevin Conroy is like, hey, you know, maybe ask him to lean off. You know, ask about my newer stuff. I don't, I don't know. It's just a. Weird, Either way, we're just a, we're losing topic. The, we're here to talk about Ghostbusters, not Batman. Uh, well, so. actually, we'll talk about ba- uh, Batman the Animated Series uh, later on in this episode, oddly enough. There is some some ties. This episode was directed by, I butchered this guy's name last time, uh, Mazazuka Higuchi. Uh, for a rundown of his many exploits in the animation world, check out episode one of this podcast and you'll hear all about his many successes and failures. Was that the guy who gave us the intro in that, that was That was the animation storyboard oh, director. animation storyboard director. That guy looked as if... Vigo the Carpathian had cancer, but cut his hair and tried to clean up for a job interview. I should have I should have jotted that guy's name down. It's like uh, it don't matter. Anthony Sarducci or something like that. There you it was, go. It it's Anthony a- Sarducci. Looks like Vigo the Carpathian <laughs> got cancer, recovered. Like he's on the mend now. I got a haircut and a suit, and he's trying to get a job without. But he lost his awesome Christopher Plummer voice. No, no, no! It's your fucking t- your t- Vigo Vigo the Carpathian was voiced by Ma- dubbed Max von Max von Sydow. Yeah, I I made a mistake. How, how dare you? I'm going to burn my penis. Christopher Plummer is excellent, but he's no Max von. Sydow. No, he's not. Especially in the voice, that's the most. Uh, this episode was written by a couple of people, uh, Arthur Brian Cover and Lydia Murano. Now, in addition to Seafright. Arthur Brian Cover also wrote Who's Afraid of the Big Bad Ghost from Season 2 of The Real Ghostbusters. He also wrote episodes for Transformers, Defenders of the Earth, Bionic 6, but his real claim to fame is that he is a fairly well-respected science fiction author having written several 
well-regarded novels. So it's one of the cool things going back and like finding out all the people who worked behind the scenes. And a lot of them are like legit, like published authors. Yeah. This isn't like they just got, well, let's get the people who worked on She-Ra. Yeah. He-Man and She-Ra, they're writers. Let's just be real. They're just like pumping out. Yeah. I mean, I fisted him as hot as I could. (laughs) Actual line. Actual line. Uh, Fisto. I had Fisto, and I beat a kid up in preschool for flushing the fist down the toilet. Moving on. That's wonderful. (laughs) I beat the fuck out of him. So you you fit you. Fist fist fought someone over Fisto. Fisto, Yes. That's that's the greatest thing I've ever heard. Uh, Lydia Murano also co-wrote Who's Afraid of the Big Bad Ghosts, but is best known for her work on Gargoyles, where she had a hand in writing 18 episodes. Did you watch Gargoyles? Gargoyles, I started to. It was at that weird age where I'm a little too old, but I am like, hey, it, it was trying to be like a Batman, the animated series. Like, I never outgrew Batman the animated series yeah. and so so shows that were solid quality. It's like Jonathan Frakes, man, you know, family likes him for being on uh, oh, it's the next bad gen- guy. Next generation. But yeah, yeah. Uh, basically it was just this where all the people from Next Generation got roles. Yeah. It was, and it was I watched it was cool. I, I, like it's it's like I said on other things, it's the top of the B tier kind of Fox cartoon wise for the heroes and stuff. It's no Batman. It's no Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. It's no Freakazoid. I I love Freakazoid. Freakazoid rules. Freakazoid is fantastic. And I I love Ninja Turtles. Don't get me wrong. As a a child of that age, you, you can't say much bad about it, but past the first season, they definitely took them into a more Shut up, nerd. goofy route. He's like, I like the comic book where they make Splinter kill and commit ritual suicide or that, opera in the that, option. That was Shredder. Shredder. And, and that's literally in the first issue. They yeah, kill literally. Him. They they Shredder's kill, like gone. They kill him in the first issue. They brought him back way later after the cartoon show in the comics Return of the Shredder. But anyway. Yes, they did. Yes, they did. I know my shit, too. I know a little nerd shit. I'm proud of you. I'm glad that we all we all have uh, on the same page about, you know, pop culture of the era. I didn't watch Gar- Gargoyles. Uh, it was one of those things that was always on after school. Yeah. But it just didn't appeal to me. That being said, it is highly regarded with people. Like, people love it because it had an ongoing story. The and it, story it treated line, its story acting, I just don't, visually, it didn't, it didn't get me. Like, it's just a yeah. little generic. Well, it's because it's Disney. And yeah. you know they're they're playing hey, to their fan base. Ducktales fucking rules. I'll fight you. Not yes. Ducktales. Darkwing Duck. Darkwing Duck. That's the one I'll fight over. Any duck related Disney property, Was, generally I will like. Yeah. Even and I fuck Ducktales. And I fucking hate Disney, but uh, they did Ducks justice. Even the Mighty <laughs> Even Ducks. Even the new Mighty Ducks. <laughs> All right, um, Tony. If you would be so kind to read the synopsis for Sea Fright, and we'll discuss the pros and cons of this episode. A ghostly pirate crew invades New York, intent on reclaiming their lost treasure from a museum. The Ghostbusters not only find themselves outnumbered, but on occasion outwitted, outwitted by these pirate ghosts. Are I. I do, do you think they were ever actually outwitted no, by these things? No, they, they they found a couple times, which is part of the logical problem for this whole thing, is they start off by attacking with the proton packs, which has no effect, and end it winning fighting with the proton packs. This episode is... They would often take premises from, like, literature 
And the ghost pirate, ghost ships. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, and and they would take <clears throat> it and kind of form it into you know, how do we get the Ghostbusters involved with this sort of sort of thing? Yeah. And our antagonist, Captain Jack, is basically just Blackbeard. He has a really interesting design for that character. He's kind of st- short and rather than give him an eye patch they made one of his eye sockets kind of yeah. slumped and I like, thought that was an interesting when design. When Willie had the 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 bone over uh the eye socket not really an eye patch well he had the eye patch but underneath his bone. Yeah. In fact the 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 aesthetics of the skeletons are pretty interesting just across the board. Weird Michelle like Brandon's saying this in a positive I don't like the design of the skeletons. I think I understand they have to make it comedic and goofy. Well, but the the reason I don't like it, real quick, the pirate ship looks badass, with the exception of the pirate flag having the colors reversed with a black skull and a white flag, yeah. which I know why they did that. It's easier to animate and so like the pirate ship writes a check that these goofy ass ghosts they show immediately cannot cash. And it's kind of interesting that this is a syndicated episode. As opposed to one of the network episodes, because that's the type of thing the network would insist on. Well, you got to have goofier looking ghosts. Yeah, don't be so but, scary. But there are there are <clears throat> specific episodes of this show where they draw skeletons in a really demonic, yeah. freaky way. But the tone of this episode is a lot more light, so I'm guessing that's probably the rationale as to why they've why done they're this. goofier. I mean, I get it, but like I think. What set me up, this isn't one of those I remember watching as a kid. I may have only seen it once or something, but like the design, you got the creepy fog rolling in, the really cool looking pirate ship. Like, I like the design, I like the animation, and then it just goes, Kadurp on these big f- swollen skull uh, skeletons with Arr! And immediately they're just talking, and immediately there's no menace to them, which this show could have villains with menace. That's yeah. what gets me. They're immediately lighthearted the goofy. It takes me out of it. The designs for the secondary characters, like, I kind of like how Captain Jack looks. He's not intimidating. No. But it's an interesting, it's it's, it's an interesting it. design. It's like However, Danny DeBito and Elephant Hit. Elephant Man had a baby. <laughs> I'd pay money to see that. I want to see how. Yeah. Uh, when will science catch up to our brilliance? <laughs> but they have these, you know, different ranks of these skeletons, and one of them is fat, and I always find fat skeletons funny because it's just a it's like when you go to Walmart around Halloween time and they have like a, a skeleton for an octopus it's like well that doesn't exist but it's kind of funny so whatever however one of them had a man bun and i thought that was that was very forward thinking of them it in was. 1987 they 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 were more fashion forward they, than there were three pirates that were immediately okay and down with the LGBTQIA <laughs> society how they how, do rob uh, a proud gay cowboy from Oklahoma <laughs> in uh, New York of his sparkling pink cowboy outfit. I have, I have a couple of things to point out about about this. Number one, they 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 wear his clothes. They take his clothes from him, so they leave. They a, love it. Even the pirate, the the captain, switches his hat. They leave. They leave a naked man on the street, uh, humiliating him, and he was very proud of his yeah, eccentric he was strutting with a weird cowboy walk in a bad animation loop. But, but, oh my god, that's yeah, that, that, that really that, bad. That actually may be the best part of the of the that's episode because that we we both like yeah. Joe, like what the fuck is going on? Because he had sparkles coming sparkles. off of him and everything. They. 
they were. He's here. He's queer. Deal with it. <laughs> and these fucking pirates steal his clothes. His most prized possession. But but the thing is that like prior to this, the skeletons that have clothes, they're like vest or in like bandoliers and stuff and hats. None yeah. of them have fucking pants. So I didn't realize that, but yeah, you're right. Here, it it it's one of those things where it's like, is this just cartoon logic where you do not need to be covered from the waist down like Donald Duck, yeah. or or <laughs> would it just be a weird sight for to see naked skeletons? I'm trying to figure out in the context of the world the real Ghostbusters exist in. Would they be like, oh my god, why are you not wearing fucking pants? Or would it be like, okay, well, this is just cartoon logic. I think cartoon logic, but then them specifically stealing this poor man's pants and then having a very racist mammy caricature <laughs> pass out in shock behind him. Lots of problem at the 80s, you know, they're almost 50 years ago. I so don't, Here's the thing, though. I don't know that you can entirely blame the writers for this, because what did it say in the script? Because That's true. You send this off Lady to- passes out that goes to Korea. Super racist, you know, people. Oh, these American round eyes. They'll, they'll be fine with this. Some tiny Asian hands. Probably pay- being hit with sticks yeah, to right b- faster. Being paid like three cents a day so they could ha- buy rice to keep their... You know, their family the whole alive. family. Uh, so, I mean, I get that because we, we were even talking about at the beginning of the episode. There's a scene where Ray is talking, but it's Winston's mouth making the movements. You you actually set me up perfectly okay. because I have an animation error that regards the hat they took from the poor gay cowboy. So, Captain Jack has this, you know, fancy hat, but I guess he wants the other fancy hat. And his hat goes from black to he gets this new beautiful uh, yellow hat, yeah. but there's a shot where it's like I guess just the it was animation. They probably animated the thing out of sequence, yeah. And there's a shot where it goes back to black, and then it cuts to another shot, and it's yellow again. And I mean, that's just a. It's probably it's confusing. It's, like there's a lot. The real Ghostbusters. When I do think of animation mistakes in shows, it's the top one I think of. That that was a top tier show. You know, big hit. Uh, you know, I, I can tell you unequivocally that they do exist, but G.I. Joe of the big cartoons yeah, at that time pr- probably is the worst offender. Probably. Now yeah. you say it. I just, my, my, my love and nostalgia, I never nitpicked. But So the entire crux of this episode is that there is this guy by the name of Mr. Papadopoulos or something along those lines. He's got, he's a smarmy asshole with a John Waters. With a sinister John Waters mustache. That's you, now how you know he's a, I love John Waters, but in cartoon shows, you know He's not necessarily a villain, but something bad's going to happen because of what he's doing by his very plucked and manicured mustache, which in the 80s meant sinister, bad, greedy, anything. No good. good. You never see a hero with a John Waters mustache, you know, we, except John Waters. We need to change it. Well, he's the he's the hero of, of all heroes. I'm really debating going to see him in Asheville, man. It's, it's Is he coming good. to Asheville? He's coming to Asheville right around Christmas. God damn it. Let's fucking go. God bless you, John Waters. Make you some more are. fucking movies. But this this character, yeah. Mr. Papadopoulos, who is, you know, the, the evil John Waters, you know, uh, equivalent of this episode, he, he is a explorer, and he came across Captain Jack's treasure, yep. and there's a, a piece of animation where, like, they're trying to open it underwater, and there's, like, a spectral 
turd cloud that like yeah. pours out of it. it. It was very gross looking, probably intentionally so. And now the pirate, the ghost pirate ship that, that they state is made of ectoplasmic wood. Yeah, like they, they really, this is one of those episodes that now watching it back, like, Ray knows a lot of useless shit that just so happens to come in handy right then and there well, for this episode. They they need to be able to justify why they're unable to harm it, but at the same time, why give why, them a way to harm it? Yes, and how it is able to harm other things. Yes. Because I also have to say, while we're on this whole sh- subject of the ghost ship, the pirate design. My biggest complaint about this episode is there is also a ghost bird, a t- class G avian specter, <laughs> which they actually bothered to have a good label for, which I respect that one. But it just looks like a fucking bird. They didn't do anything. Even the eyes just look like bird eyes. Oh. It goes through a wall. That's how you know it's a ghost. They didn't give it rotten feathers, make it a skull bird. They, Nothing. Captain Jack actually makes a point that flies up on him. It's like, I would kill you if you weren't you already, already dead. dead. Like, that's the only way you, you see it fly through the wall. And if you miss that, they reference that it's dead. It is. It is bothers me greatly if you're going to have a whole... And I'm not that big of a nitpick nerd. I can let a lot of things go. Just give me dirty feathers and I would have been fine. I'm not needing the whole rotten parakeet from, like, Pirates of the Caribbean or anything like that. Just... Something. You know, like why? Why did they make that decision? Probably PETA. They were starting to get big. I'm not even joking. Like it's not cool. You showing dead animals and blah 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 and indicating, or maybe the they thought the sight of a dead bird or dead pet would be more upsetting more than upsetting. the overly stylized cartoon pirate ghost. I know. I mean, y- there's you, logic behind it. I even you, knew watching it. But. You're probably correct. But in my head, like I think just a skeleton bird would have looked cool. I yeah, mean, it would have looked cool and probably be easier to animate than a bird full of colored feathers that move. So we get the shenanigans of the crew entering into Manhattan and, you know, like looking around and sort of like... A lot of implied break. The men go off the boat real quick and start heading toward women. I'm just saying I'm not cool with it. Shame on you. Well... Hashtag cancel. We, no. you, you were able to... Uh, come up with an, an idea and how they were able to yeah. uh, to do such things but we have this one particular group of skeletons who I mean they basically come out and say that they're horny but they do the best joke of the episode he's like oh it's been so long since I've been with a woman that wait it's been so long I forget they're looking yeah. at mannequins and that's a really great clean dirty joke they they then uh, phase through the store window to these mannequins and they're full on like hunching these things. Yeah. I mean, they're animated to like look like they're dancing yeah. with them, but the one, I mean, he's, he's like all up in there. Uh, he's, he's getting splinters on his ghost cut. He's he's knuckle deep in that in that <laughs> uh, wooden puss. Um, but yeah, it, it probably probably you could it's probably more entertaining to watch this as an adult than it would have been as a kid because I probably would have been bored. Yeah, like, oh, girl, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But, like, now as an adult, seeing him, like, it's been so long since I've been with a woman that, well, and he stops, well, I forget. <laughs> a good, good moment. Uh, the music in the show is one of the more positive things yeah. I can say about it, is that it, it really knows when to highlight the dr- the drama of the moment, and there's also, like, the lighthearted moments, and, like, those those themes, like, are reused. Oh, yeah, over and over. There's through. the spooky theme, 
There's the action thing. There's the Ghostbusters got this shit thing. Like uh, they like the, when they're winning, when they're losing, and when something spooky's about to happen. I mean, it's definitely formulaic, but they it's good. They, they use it well. They it's, accurately know when to drop it in. They dread. The, they condition us also to know how to feel like subconsciously. Oh, we hear that music. Ghostbusters winning. It's all good. Yeah, you've, you've got a point. They it's down to a science, and whether that's sort of. Cheating, I guess. On this one, it's a little negative because, again, the setup for this pirate ghost ship, which could have been a syndicated episode, one of their good scary ones, great design, except the the Jolly Roger flag, the flag, colors are reversed. It's a black skull and a white thing. I think I've already mentioned that. But, like, the intro to the ship is super creepy, atmospheric on the the people on the boat. Ooh, the fog. And then, like, we're going to get our treasure. Yeah, totally kind of kills the mood. Yeah, it is It is a little anticlimactic in, in those terms. But, I mean, this is still a, you a, a, child, it's a child show. Every so. child show, need, like Ghostbusters, I understood, you can't have every episode be a scary episode. you got to have the fun ones. you got to have the neat ones. But, like, when they, they hit the weird high concept or kind of spooky ones, has done so much good in my brain that anything less than that, I, I kind of get. Unless it's like... Slimer come home or one of the cute ones like that. Like oh, let's let's actually talk about Slimer because Slimer is a key component into the resolution of this episode, but he's also sort of the thorn in the side of a lot of They're all being dicks to him and not just Peter. Yeah, usually it is just Peter. Yeah, this one they're all like side eyeing him, looking hateful and being me. Even Winston Peter's like, it's usually three to one against us frying this uh, whatever. And anybody want to change their boat? And even Winston's like, I'll, "I'll let me think about it." Dicks, are you pro or anti Slimer? Pro Slimer, I have to, I have to be. I, I saw this at six years old, and in the first two seasons, especially like later on, he, when he became the most focused on aspect, or when it was Slimer and the real ghost. No, it's too far. But like, especially in the episode um, that takes place immediately after Ghostbusters Two with the haunted. Uh, Ghostbuster suits attacking and Slimer's real key and like he's hey I'm still here and that's kind of the one where they talk about that's, how that's that's after Ghostbusters one you're talking about no it's the it's is it called Citizen Ghost no I know the one it is the one that is supposed to, they're in they're having an interview about how Slimer became part of the team they you have know, the that... mood slime he's telling the backstory. He has the mood slime ghosts that take over those suits and become anti Ghostbusters. That's okay. Your 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 brain is putting two episodes together, and I'm I'm telling you right now, um, I will prove it to you. I, I because, mean, I'll take your word because there is a mood slime episode where they use it to go in the ghost world and they can make them fly and then go through walls. The episode that you are specifically talking about. They didn't about. destroy the uniforms that were used yes. at the end. And that's and, the mood slime that caused yeah, the ghost to come back because they were it's contaminated. Not, it's not mood slime. It's it's psychokinetic energy. Oh, it's the, fucking the, mood slime. It's not mood slime. It it, it came before Ghostbusters 2. It came before no, Ghostbusters 2. The, they say Bego the Carpathian. No, I guarantee Really? I, I guarantee you it's Ghost the Gozarian. <laughs> I'm, I mean, you watch this show more. I'm going to go with you, but I, this is one of no, those like there, there is only Berenstein Bears, Berenstein. Like no, obviously there, it says Berenstein, but in my head I hear Berenstein. No, there is only maybe one or two episodes that even reference Ghost anything Ghostbusters two in this series. I'm telling you without I mean, without reservation. I know you watch this show naked, rubbing your nipples, so I'm going to believe you. But damn, uh, still love you. 
I love you. Let's touch tips real quick. <laughs> but you know, we're saying we're, we'll hold up horns and say Slayer. So you know, it's that's all not good. that's not gay. Then it's just that's just praising the devil. Grossive. Yeah, hell, Satan. <laughs> okay, uh, before we make our verdict, yeah. there, there's one last thing that I, that stuck out to me in this episode, and it's the are these ghosts ethereal or are they corporeal because at different points they are different things and i think it's one of those elements where they just wrote it to to, to suit yeah. the moment but egon takes the neutrona thrower and tries to bonk one of them on the head and they turn you know yeah. ethereal and it goes through it which is stupid because uh that's dangerous uh equipment that kind of you know I mean, if you're he's cr- nerding out over like the safety regu- the safety treatment and gun and safe gun habits of a cartoon, which is something they bring up in this series that, in uh, one specific episode. So yes, uh, if they if they make it canon, then I then I have to scrutinize it. Do you point? have to though? Yes, <laughs> yes, I do. That's what makes this fun. But I don't know. And they, then other times they're knocking shit. They can phase in and out as they want. They're the they're the Matrix albino ghosts of this of the oh Ghostbusters world where they can be corporeal or incorporeal as they wish. Okay, from Matrix fa- Two. Fair enough. But their their ship is corporeal. It is there. And, and that's cosmic timber. And that's how uh Slimer plays into the you know, the narrative is that they keep shunning him, like, get the fuck away from us. And, the, and finally he shows up at the in the pirate ship when they're having the battle and they tell him to go hide. And he hides in the barrel of the cannon. They fire him off and it, you know, blows a hole in there. And so that allows them to, you know, suck up all the ghosts in the ghost trap and all is well. And Slimer is rewarded with his... Uh, roll in the in the the victory with the hat that should have been given back to yeah, that poor yeah, guy cowboy. It's still stolen goods. <laughs> I hope I hope that he's tracked. He down died of hypothermia because he had no clothes. <laughs> <laughs> he is uh, and heat releases through your head. It so does, it's the most so. it's the most important uh, covering in that regard. Um, so this is coming to the point now. Where we're going to have to make a decision about this episode. It's not a hard decision. You got busted. I'm also going to give this episode a busted. Um, I could see where maybe... It's got good things. It's not not the worst one. No, by by no means is is this a bad episode. But it's certainly nowhere near... The highs that this series is capable of. Oh yeah, I had I had fun watching it There's, with you. There were good moments, but this is not an episode I would seek out to watch oh, never for again. pleasure. We're both we're in agreement. Both busted. Busted. All right, we're gonna take a quick commercial break, and when we come back, we're gonna switch on the PK meter and check out Janine Melnitz Ghostbuster, also mm, from season two. My PK. Oh, wait, real quick, I had one more note. I took of this. This episode also pointed out. The peak that's burying the needle in the PK meter. They say that a lot. He needs to recalibrate and increase the amount of PKE energy it can read because everything's always burying the fucking needle. Well, po- post Gozer, there's more spectral energy in New York, so, so he can he created the PKE meter. He can recalibrate it or make it or extend the thing. I'm just quit saying everything buries the needle. It loses all meaning. This one goes to eleven. <laughs> exactly. All right, guys, we'll be right back. Hmm, the real Ghostbusters will return after these messages. 
<laughs> Don't miss the Scream Queen Shockathon Horror Convention coming to Manchester, Tennessee on Saturday, February 18th. Guests include Candyman and Nightmare Elm Street production designer Mick Strawn, Truth or Dare director Tim Ritter, Scream Queens Rebecca Reinhardt from The Embalmers, and Lane Huntington from Shark Exorcist, Gorotica and Gore Horror director Hugh Gallagher, Cannibal Hookers and Demon Queen director Donald Farmer, plus many more surprises to come. Located at Prater's Barbecue, admission is free, but come hungry, but this delicious barbecue will be served all day. Plus, there's an open bar if you're over 21. Don't miss the horror fan event of 2023, the Scream Queen Shockathon. Take exit 110 off Interstate 24 and you're there. For more information, find Scream Queen Shockathon on Facebook. You'll have a hell of a good time. <laughs> Welcome back, Rain Army. Stop the pedal on your trusty ghost trap because we've got a classify full roaming segment headed your way as we take a look at episode 48 of The Real Ghostbusters entitled Janine Melnitz Ghostbuster. However, before we get into this spooktacular episode of The Real Ghostbusters, I want to talk about our respective Saturday morning cartoon viewing habits. Now, in the first segment of this podcast, you kind of let it be known you're on a I was an abused child under religious oppression. That being said, uh, you kind of laid out a couple of your favorites, but I want to know, like, what what Saturday morning cartoons were worthy of damnation? Like, which ones would you uh, sacrifice your soul to see? Honestly, I'm not even saying this because the show Real Ghostbusters was one. I really dug, uh, you know, the classics, Transformers, fucking G.I. Joe... I got really into like um, yeah, those were really weren't like Saturday morning cartoons though because they were they yeah, were strictly they, syndicated. They, they were syndicated, but like I kind of lump all of them together in my head. Sometimes I think, weirdly enough, Camp Candy was like one of my fucking jams. Like this, John Candy was occasionally do a voice, and it was a John Candy sound like for most of it. It was the CBS lineup, I think. It was not ABC Saturday Morning TV Funhouse. Yeah, I. Um, I want to say, did did John Candy also appear on screen? Yeah, he was, I think a couple live action segments in the first couple episodes before the thing. Macaulay Culkin's Wish Kid. I don't know why I wanted substandard cartoons that were just, they, I think they were so off and different. But like, honestly, the big one that bothered me, we were talking syndicated before school. I could see some Ghostbusters usually. Not really, though. I had to get up. And go and like my dad and I and or my mom, we'd go eat breakfast and go to church school or some bullshit. Uh, keep me from cartoons. They didn't want me to rot my brain first thing in the morning. Losers. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, this, this was the big one because this was like I grew up obsessed with Ghostbusters. I saw the original. I used to hide behind the couch till the librarian ghost screamed at them. Then I'd go around the couch, watch the rest of the movie. Part two, I remember seeing in theaters, 
But the video store we used to go to out toward, um, like you're heading out of town toward Jeff City, there was one near where like a daycare center was. It closed down, but they had they they would put out their screener copies they had behind the things, and if you asked them nice, they get they let you rent a screener copy. So I got it before it was officially released oh, to watch wow. it, even though it said screener copy. That's how I saw Goonies. I remember seeing the trailer for Goonies. And never going to see it in theaters. And they had that screener copy. And my dad was trying to, no, that's just a preview of the movie. It's not the whole movie. It's not the whole movie. No, no. And I begged him and begged him. And it was a whole movie, except it said, this is a screener copy, not for blah, blah, blah. Yeah, the, the, yeah, the, the little thing, thing. That, that would come through about every 30 seconds. But it was a whole movie. So I loved like, rubbing it. And I, said, I told you it was a whole movie. But like Ghostbusters was such a core part of my thing that this cartoon show hit everything I needed it to be. It, like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, it had the sexy redhead that made me realize that girl, girls are okay. It had the funny, I love the cuteness of Slimer. I'm still to this day. It got further on where Slimer was too much a focus of the show, but especially... Thankfully, we haven't quite hit that level. No. Just yet. No, not yet. So far, these have been I had a nice little, hey, Slimer's here to do something cute. I'm trying to think. There was one other show, and I'm completely spacing on it. While you're thinking, I'll talk yeah. about mine. Well, the real Ghostbusters was my favorite Saturday morning yeah. cartoon. That was like destination, you know, viewing. Yeah, you know, sitting with eating fruity pebbles. And uh, when I was a kid in my my grandmother's house, they racist grandma, racist okay. gra- racist grandmother, um, they gave me a tire swing. In the living room, and they kept it like tied up in the <clears throat> ceiling when it wasn't being used. Yeah. But I would get in that tire swing, and I would pretend to be the Ghostbusters logo because of you know the yeah. circle of the tire swing. So yeah, th- it meant so much to me as a kid. And I mean, a little past around the same time, but really, I, I when it closed out, I'm watching more and more of Ninja Turtles became the primary oh, yeah. viewing. But then something magical happened with uh, Batman the Animated Series and X-Men. Like, those oh, yeah. those were my Fuck, fucking yeah. jam. And I, I went back and I rewatched the entire series of X-Men pretty recently. And up until the last half of the final season, it really it does. Up. It I've, holds up. Yeah, when I got Disney+, Plus, I went back and revisited some of my favorite episodes. Uh, that's, yeah. that's just good stuff. Branch off is necessary and talk yeah. about these things but i do want to highlight that both of these series they both regularly used writers who worked on the real ghostbusters so i think in a sense that i I was always sort of wired to enjoy specific people's writing you know subconsciously or otherwise all right let's get to our technical info janine melnitz ghostbuster was released its original air date was october 30th 1987 so listen in 2022 we're just a couple of jaded old fucks shouting at youngsters to keep off our lawns but back in the 80s we were both chubby-cheeked bright-eyed balls of optimistic sunshine so before we can discuss this episode let's highlight what was going on in the world of pop culture the day before halloween in 1987 i was starting fires in detroit (laughs) (laughs) on this day in japan nec released the first 16-bit video game system called the pc engine which is better known as the turbo graphics 16 in america now, I'm going to go on a limb and say that you probably did not have a Turbo no. Graphics. No, I did not. I didn't either, and I knew one kid. His name was Chip Gibson. 
uh, his uh, I think it's his father or his grandfather in our hometown of Morristown was a dentist. So they were fucking loaded. This this kid had a fucking elevator in his house, and in like elementary school, he got a TurboGrafx sixteen, and none of us knew what that meant. But we all wanted one oh, because yeah. I was like, well, what do you what do you mean? It was like, does it have Mario? No, it's better than Mario. And I can't remember. Now we know the lies. Yeah, I, I don't have no idea like uh, what the mascot for TurboGrafx-16 was. But it's it's lauded. It's like one of the best systems that never caught on in America, but it was very popular in Japan. But uh, I will always lament that I didn't have one, you know, back in the day. Fuck you, Chip Gibson. Fuck you, Chip. That's a douche name, too. <laughs> what do you think the number one song in America was on... This day, 87, October 30th, 1987. Phil Collins. I don't know. It's Bad by Michael Jackson. Ugh. Yeah, he's bad. He's dead. <laughs> he's he's dead. dead. You know it. Uh, the number one album, yet again, Bad by Michael Jackson. So more hitting uh, one of the core 80s components. Yeah, I mean, that and... Uh, it happened a lot more back then where like the number one album and the number one song would be the same thing and they were just inescapable. Oh yeah. Bad was was very good uh for the economy back in the eighties yeah. when you could uh you know make money in the music business. What do you think the number one movie at the box office was on October thirtieth, nineteen eighty seven. I'm not even. Hold on, let me venture a guess. Eighty seven. I'll, I'll give it's you. Around, okay, I'll give, give you a hint. hint. I bl- if if memory serves, I believe this was the number one grossing film of that year. This is not a blockbuster year. I'll that's I'll, I'll stop uh, with that. Planes, trains, and automobiles. I don't know. Oddly enough, planes, trains, and automobiles did come out in nineteen eighty seven. That was not this movie. It's Fatal Attraction. Mm, bunny rabbits. Yeah. Gross, Glenn Close, saggy, nasty titties. I even made reference to that movie earlier today, talking about the person who got this you, DVD box set for you. You, you did. Aw. She didn't have saggy titties in the no, way that Glenn nice Close nice titties. Did. We'll give credit where credit's credit, due. Credit where credit's due. All right, being that this episode was released around Halloween, it's interesting that there wasn't a big horror movie to top the box office spot around that time, but I guess Fatal Attraction is kind of in line with horror, but, you know, that's beside the point. It's Karen the Slasher movie. Oh, my God. The actual Karen movie sucks. Don't even bother with it. I didn't didn't realize there was one. There really is. But I started to say, like, if there isn't one, there should be. Or at least there's there's, there's fertile, fertile soil to be tilled there. Uh, that being said, I, I have such nostalgic feelings for Halloween in the eighties oh, and, and early nineties. Yeah. Do you, with you know your church build up, were you allowed to dress up? Brandon's going to keep talking for a second. I've got to step out just for two seconds. Sorry for the technical fuck up, people. Uh, you do that. I'll talk about what I was doing on Halloween for nineteen eighty seven. I can vaguely remember having this costume because back then you get a costume and you're a kid, you would hold on to it for years. And if you were imaginative enough, you could stretch those really, really shitty Ruby's costumes, Ruby Spears, you know, where it was like a a vinyl bib, 
kind of a front uh, facing cape kind of thing. And then like a vacuum formed mask. But I was Big Bird in 1987. And I can't imagine that that was necessarily by choice because I was not a kid that was into Sesame Street or things of that kind of... All the same, that's what I was. What were you for Halloween in 1987? I can almost tell you for a fact that I was um, almost 100% positive Optimus Prime with the little mask that cut your face with the thing and the garbage bag. Yeah, I was just just talking about that. They would be like... It was like a... Plastic. Um, yeah, like a, like a really, really Tunic. thin vinyl, yeah. uh, almost like a Snuggie kind of yeah. thing. And uh, that vacuum plastic mask. And that the edges would always, with my big head, even as a child, like cut into my face if I moved too fast. 87, it was 86, 87, or 88. One of those was like, there was one year I was Optimus Prime, because I had used to have pictures of these. Uh, one year I was a pirate just cause I think my parents just felt like not bothering. They tied a scarf. Mom took eyeliner and did the scar and had me a cheap plastic sword. And one year I was something cute. I think it was like fucking cookie monster or something. I was probably 86. Oh, well that kind of goes in line with what I was in, in 87. I was big bird. Oh, there you go. Yeah. So not, not by I was choice. The cooler no of the Sesame Street people. Oh, absolutely. Big bird's just a big stupid bird. Cookie monster. Suffering from schizophrenia, imagining snuffleupagus. Yeah. Poor, poor bird. He had bird flu. That's how he died. That's <laughs> canon. That's canon. At least, at least cookie monster back then was allowed to eat cookies. He's like the vegetable monster or some yeah, stupid shit now. stupid. Oh, Lord. Um, woke police. Well, what, what would you say was your favorite Halloween? Like, um, you got any, like, specific memories tied to, like... There's one year. I'm pretty sure it's, like, 91, 92. I was, like... I wasn't masturbating yet. It was right before then. I, but I was old <laughs> enough to feel like I was a big kid. You know, I was grown up. It was all cool. And uh, dressed up as the Joker. Got the green spray in my hair. Like... Jack Nicholson Joker. And my mom took us around trick-or-treating. Me and my sister so much. I think it's the last year she went with me. We had three giant garbage bags full of candy. It was uh, when we got home that night. I think, um, what did my dad rented? Uh, dad rented his Ghoulies. He got the original Ghoulies because he's like, oh, it looks something dumb you'd like. Dad never liked horror movies. But that, that I think that was the night I saw Ghoulies for the first time. Oh, wow. So, That's I mean, it was cool. just a great night. Up all night, candy, still makeup and shit in my hair, kicked back on the couch, watching fucking Ghoulies. I can uh, remember a lot of great memories growing up, and uh, we'll we'll get into specifically the difference between Halloween of our childhood as to it's uh, done now. But some of my favorite memories were with my childhood best friend, Josh Basinger. We would go up in his neighborhood and we were completely unsupervised. Like this was, you know, you were, we were allowed to just go around and do our own thing and be gone for hours. And my on, mom you know. let us, she would, what she would do is she would let me and Jeanette go down our neighborhood, pick us up, drive us to another spot. She's like, I'm going to park here. Y'all go around the neighborhood like, she didn't walk with us door to door. She was a taxi driver who did not get out of the car and got her cut at the end of the night for being our wheel man, <laughs> basically, now that I see it like that. But, yeah, we were just set loose. Yeah, it's a, the, the world is completely different. But, anyways, it would get, like, dark out yeah. to the point where, like, you know, a flashlight is not doing much good. Because there weren't a lot of street yeah. lights in these neighborhoods back then. Not the but, rich ones with the good candy. Yeah. 
Oh, we were we were slumming it over in the the colonies and those places yeah. in, in our hometown. But we would go, and then his mom and dad, who could not be in the same room with each other under normal circumstances, mm-hmm. would have super elaborate Halloween parties. And as a you know. 10 year old kid like it was just fucking fantastic but my favorite memory of this time was that you know we were gorging on the candy that we had just conquested for and his father told us this story and we we camped out in his yard this is like after the party and he's we're telling ghost stories right before we were supposed to go to bed uh and his father told us this story about a severed head rolling down a hill and it fucking freaked me the fuck out and I didn't go to sleep at all. <laughs> I stayed up and my parents picked me up the next day and I'm like groggy and everything and you know, having to fight, falling asleep because I knew if I fought, took a nap, I'd be up all night. Well, anyways, night comes and we're living in a, uh, it was 806 Mohawk in Morristown, Tennessee and uh, the house that we had, my bedroom was like the window was like ground level. It was like built yeah. into the the Grand. side of a hill yeah. kind of thing. And I had to sleep with my face towards the window because I was scared that if I turned my back to it and then I turned over again, that fucking head would have <laughs> rolled down the hill and would have been facing there. And it just it freaked me out. But I have such nostalgic feelings for that. And I think a lot of that is just indicative of why we do this podcast. Oh, yeah. Because I have this, you know, this just aching feeling of like wanting to be able to feel how you felt when you saw scary We're shit back that then. fear dragon, man. And and this is as close as we can get to it. It's just the nostalgia, you know, living off the, in the memories of these kind of things. And real Ghostbusters is right up there with it. I also do drugs and hair. No, I'm just playing. <laughs> Mainline. How do you feel about the generation of kids now and the way that they celebrate Halloween as opposed to the... There's the, pros, the there's way cons. The generic costumes are much higher quality because of fast oh, fashion yeah. and shipping changes. They get much cooler costumes. Trunker treats while ruining the uh, the roam around like wild people in the neighborhood. You get a lot more candy a lot quicker. So I always, when, when I was with my ex and we took our little girl trick-or-treating, we'd hit up a couple trunk-or-treats first. Then we'd hit the neighborhoods and do the walk. We well, never let her go off by herself because I broke up with her before the kid was seven. So at that age, you wouldn't. But, like, you know, there's there's certain things. Yes, it's toned down. But, again, some things, some things are better. I don't, and I got a lot of flack on Facebook for, for posting about my disdain for trunk-or-treat. And I, I want to clarify that a little bit. Taking your kids to a trunk-or-treat when they're little that's completely understandable because you're not going to let like a you know a five or six year old yeah. kid run around town by themselves. What the point I'm trying to make is that there is there are moments of your childhood where you sort of separate yourself from your parents and you yeah. are able to experience things in a way that feels a little more adult and dangerous, but. I still fairly Prob- say probably not super dangerous. I know like people social media is like inflated the way people view the world as being yeah. so negative. It's a lot safer now than it was it, then. It was. And the, we the, don't the, only lose a couple kids to perverts during Halloween. That's <laughs> worth the you know. 
Well, the thing is that, like, no. social media and this the news, like, they report on that stuff a lot more than they did back then. Mm-hmm. And it's not that I'm saying, like, just, you know, thrust your kids out and don't, don't give a fuck about them. You made the point about going to Trunk or Treat because you get more candy. But to me, that's kind of half of what made it exciting because there was a risk-reward to it. You didn't know that you were going to end up yeah. with a bunch of candy. And then when you went to a person and they didn't give you good candy or any candy at all, well, their house is going to get fucking egged. I did that shit a lot. And uh, I know now, like, they really crack down on that. And and to be fair, egging someone's car and stuff, like, that's really fucked up. But so Burn I, their houses to the ground if they don't provide Halloween. It, it, it's trick or treat, not treat or we'll leave you in peace. Yeah, if, if you're going to do trick or treat shenanigans, like, toilet paper, that's... I mean, it's biodegradable. It'll rain. Yeah. It'll wash off. Put take soap suds, like a box of like suds, and like just sprinkle it on someone's yard. They won't fucking know it. Then when it rains, their lawn will bubble up. See, there's fun stuff you could do that won't hurt anything. So I do think there's a fine line. But kill their pets, burn their house <laughs> down. Okay, no, you're you are you are fair game for all Halloween pranks and stuff. If your light is on, but you are not handing out candy, you don't have candy, shut your porch light off, indicate, hey, kids, don't waste your time with us, move on. Yeah. That includes if you run out of candy. Oh, yeah. I mean. If you run out, it's, that's on you. You should be double punished. Or you're just, well. We're going to do the strangers up in your fucking house. You're just, you're just caught teasing kids with candy. Like, if your light is on and they they come up and ring the doorbell and there's no treats to I be had. I'm going to smack this one bitch one year. When, like, I think Manuel was, like, three or four porch light on, fall decorations go up. We don't celebrate Halloween. And, like, thank you, Jennifer was a bitch and a cunt and all that shit. But, man, I was too shocked to say anything. And, like, she's in the background. Why the hell do you have your light on in a neighborhood that's getting hit hard where everybody else is participating? Go fuck yourself. Indeed. In fucking deed. Anyway, the... Anyway, the any, show. <laughs> anyway, now that we've set the stage for what was going on in the world on October 10th, 1987, the question... October 30th. You just said the Oh, 10th. my God. You're right. October 30th. That's a... Thank you for catching that. Yeah. It's like, uh, man, we just talked all this time about Halloween, and, you, and then you say the 10th. October 30th. But the question remains, where was I and Fat Tony on that day? So, do you remember seeing this episode... I didn't, uh, I like, I saw this, run. no, I did not, I know I didn't, this is one of the ones I didn't see first run, uh, this was by the time where my dad had converted to Seven Day Adventist and already lapsed where I could watch TV, is the first time I saw this one. Yeah, I, it was I, in syndication. I don't, I don't know that if I saw this the Thanks. very first time it was on, but I absolutely saw this as a kid. I yeah. vividly remembered this episode. And there's, there's one hangover from this episode that was actually brought back more contemporarily. And we'll touch on that as we continue on. Let's go through our cast. Uh, pretty much uh, the standard cast for the classic lineup. We got Lorenzo Music as Peter Venkman, Frank Welker as Ray Stance, Arsenio Hall as Winston Zedmore, Marie Lamarche as Egon Spangler, and this episode they gave Janine some lines with Laura Summer playing her part. Uh, guest cast we've got Michael Rye voicing, uh, sorry, voices a staggering amount of characters, including Proteus, the Frankenstein monster, as well as a newscaster, and not to mention a good deal of the ghosts and goblins. 
Uh, Michael's voice acting career goes all the way back to the early 50s, and it spans all the way up to 1999. He's probably best known as the voice of Green Lantern on Super Friends. So we've already hit the Super Friends jackpot of voice talent between these two episodes we've reviewed. Uh, We also have BJ Ward, who voices a couple of characters. She voices Goblin Number 1 and the receptionist uh, for Proteus. I don't know which one Goblin Number 1 is. I don't know if that's the one with the bandolier or... Probably bandolier. It's the first one to talk. It's more prominent. I I suppose. And if we're incorrect on that, I don't think it ultimately matters. There's just a bunch of, you know, goblins. And they don't serve much of a... They the legitimately plot. try to murder people with firearms in a kid's show. <laughs> Good times. Good times. Uh, BJ was a mainstay for additional characters in the real Ghostbusters series, having voiced something like 13 different female characters uh, over the course of the series, and fi- an extra five for the Slimer side series, which we will not be covering. No. Um, but, uh, they, it seems like they had a core group of people that they knew that they could use and they, they, you know, they mined that mine, uh, for all the jewels it was worth. Uh, this episode was directed by, I'm going to butcher it again, Mazazuka Higuchi. And, uh, you know, somehow I know you're not meaning to, but that sounds racist. It it probably is. (laughs) You're probably mispronouncing it in a really bad canceling way but that's well, here, not your here, intent here look at it and tell me what how you think it's pronounced um mazazuka higuchi written oh directed mazakuzu higuchi-san well that's more, that's, that's, that's more racist the way i said it <laughs> oh yeah it's it's mazaguzi whatever it's whatever he said he's not being racist all right uh, for for a rundown of his many exploits uh, like i said earlier in this episode check out episode one we give a full rundown of his hits and misses in the animation field this episode was written by michael reeves michael reeves wrote 16 episodes of the real Ghostbusters, including the all-time classic, The Boogeyman Cometh. Fuck so, yes. So it's fair to say he is well-respected within the RGB community. And he, he also had impressive stints on the Smurfs, where he contributed to like 63 episodes, 19 episodes of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and 28 episodes of one of the greatest shows of all time, not just of animation, Batman the Animated Series. All right, gun to your head. You gotta pick one animated series, made for adults, kids, or anything. Like what? What are you going to watch for one last slice of happiness before the bullet pierces your brain and leaves you DOA? It's so hard. Probably to get the full enjoyment of of the youth and Batman the animated series. That's probably if I had one nice episode, it would be like a. Like one of their big deep cuts that's great because it will hit, it will please me as an adult. It will please me as a, you're, you are talking about what show, not what episode. Yeah, yeah, right. what, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, it's Batman. It would be an episode of Batman the Animated Series. Uh, well, I'm going to go with something that also came on the Fox Network, but a little later and hit me at the right time, but it's something that stayed with me. In fact, if not for this series, uh, when I moved away from my hometown to here to the Black Lodge, I don't know that I would have been able to uh, keep my sanity in check, and that was Futurama. Oh, yeah, yeah. that's that Fu- also... Futurama is my all-time favorite animated series, and it's in my top time, just top ten favorite 
shows of all time. I'm actually changing my answer because I was thinking kid shows. Well, I said kid. And yeah, you did say that. Futurama, I agree 100%. Futurama, I will still cry at Fry's Dog, Jurassic Bark. It's Every so single good. time, it's a single set of saying, I will still pleasantly like tear up in a sweet way at the end of the final episode when Fry's like, what do you think? You want to do it one more time? It is. It hits the high highs of funny, the emotional gut punches. You're right. It was literally written by geniuses. Yeah. 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 Ken Keeler and uh, David X. Cohen. Those guys are all fantastic. And I'm looking forward to and have uh, tempered expectations for the Hulu hey, they episodes. Got back, they, so. they did get uh, the original cast back and, and he was <clears throat> he was holding out. But thankfully, everything aligned and they're going to give them their due. But if I'm being honest with you, I think that... Everything past the Fox episodes, like, there's great, but it's inconsistent greatness. I get that, but I think the Comedy Central run, the final run, ended on such a perfect note. Even better than the original, what was meant to be the ending, the Devil's Hand thing. The, the, uh, the, the Devil's... Idol's Idle Hands, hands or the Devil's Play thing. thing. Yeah. That was a, the, the, of the Comedy Central ending of the series was the probably my favorite final episode. Anything the ever. the late Philip J. Fry is the name of that episode. Yeah. I lo- I love Futurama. Yeah. It's, it's it's something I've seen you know countless times. All right, um, those options aside, the real Ghostbusters is why we're here today. So, Fat Tony, if you'd be so kind to read the synopsis for Janine Melnitz Ghostbuster. With the city undergoing a massive surge in spectral activity, the Ghostbusters have no time to take. Have no time to take no time. This is your typing. I'm this sorry. Is reading. They have no time to take care of Janine's haunted apartment. Janine decides to tackle the job on her own and may end up saving the day. Well, here's the thing. Janine really doesn't do anything in this episode. She doesn't bust the ghost in her apartment. No. Um, she she gets wrapped up in a sheet. Which she I'm, figures out. To put Slimer and to find out where they they get guys, she finds the guys. Well, don't take that th- th- from my woman. I'm I'm just being I'm just being broad stroked here. Hear me out I'll before stroke I stroke that broad. Before I give her credit, I have to I have to nail her to the cross of public opinion. I'll nail but her too. <laughs> I, I would. I would anyway. I will. I will animate myself a more attractive penis <laughs> than I already have, but. In the initial setup, because the whole thing is that there's like this wave of of spectral activity in New York. And her apartment just happens to be haunted. And she wants preferential treatment. But when her uh, pleads for nepotism are, you know... It's cronyism. Nepotism's for relative. Cronyism's when you know... That was another thing about the trick-or-treat episode. I was like, it's cronyism, not nepotism. Anyway, no, I agree. Like, yeah... That's what you want. Sorry. I I digress cronyism. (laughs) But the thing is, she wants preferential treatment. And they're like, listen, we just don't have time. You know, this is a business and uh, we're not going to give you any free favors until we, you know, we don't have anything on the docket. And and even make a point to show how many jobs they have lined up. Jobs that they still have to do at the end of the episode because they had to, you know, deal with the shit going well, no, on. There, there's quiet at the end of the episode, so the other jobs are no longer needed. I don't know about that. It's indicated. It's, it, that, uh, Either way, I don't, I don't, I, don't I, I, I cry foul on that because... Janine Meltz, uh, Melnitz, 
At the, like again, a picture of Annie Potts. Uh, yes, she should always get preferential treatment. She is a goddess among secretaries. <laughs> Damn them for not. I kind of of all the hairstyles she has in either one of the movies, the cartoon hairstyle is my favorite. I uh, I, I do I do fucking love how angular it is, and it's the, it's the bright color red. And as I was going to say about her haunting, one of the things I really liked about this episode, it's kind of funny. Like she comes in, everything like her whole living room and all her furniture on the ceiling. That's a big hassle. She lost hundreds of dollars in the 80s in furniture because <laughs> her fucking bosses couldn't take two seconds, ride along with her home, make sure she's safe. She falls out of a floating bed from a very high ceiling department, could have been killed. She should have let the Ghostbusters rot for a little longer, but she's a good secretary. Um, let's talk about the infestation of her apartment. Um, these ghosts are, I'm just going to be blunt with it. Uh, they look like Jewish stereotypes. Some of them, yeah, it's really bad and kind of very problematic. Yeah, so I, I, yet again, we don't, we don't know how it was written as opposed to how it was interpreted by foreign animators, animators. but they, there's a lot of very big noses. Yeah, it's not great. And, you know, things you would see in like a a Nazi, Nazi propaganda from the, like World War II. Um, However, she she's out maneuvered by these ghosts. They wrap her up, and Slimer uh, basically saves the day and gets the trap over there and and saves everything. So Janine has been outclassed. Step one, but you did make a good point that she had the wonderful idea to send the ghost uh, Slimer into the containment unit. But we got to back up and talk what the Ghostbusters are doing that necessitates this to happen. So. Shit's going down, and the statue of Atlas has been animated, and this thing is, you know, fucking enormous, and they're at uh, Rockefeller Center? Yeah, I think so. And they're on the you know, they're on the ice, and they try to zap the ice from under it, and it causes a whole, you know, series of events that just doesn't work out for them. And Atlas shoots, like, lightning out of his yeah. finger and sends them to... The bad guys. The bad guys mirror dimension. From Phantom Zone. Now, the the villain of this is a guy by the name of Proteus. Uh, Proteus, they explain, is basically an interdimensional god on the level of Gozer. And who is... So comically easy. underused. He's he's so easily dispensed of in this episode. I'm still not exactly sure how that is accomplished. I think... When she goes, we'll get to have well, five. Well, let's, let's, okay, let's, okay. Ba- let's back have up to how we how we get our characters in the same place. Yeah. So Janine, uh, feeling high on her horse for having done nothing, uh, comes back. She brought the stuff. It was her idea to get the equipment. <laughs> she goes back to the firehouse and is and, and is thinking that they're <laughs> they're out on their own. You know, uh, still busting ghosts, and they turn on the TV because she's earned the that. large portable TV with no plug. <laughs> That and is twice as big as the one she had on her entertainment center. At that, her the, house. that the ghost destroys. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but the the newscast says that the Ghostbusters, uh, you know, are has been zapped away. And um, if I were if I were if I were a passerby and I had saw what happened to the Ghostbusters, my uh, inclination would be, well, they're fucking dead. Yeah, they're gone. They they were zapped into no- nothingness. But uh, she. Kid. She realizes, like, oh, shit, it's up to me. I'm going to have to save the, the Ghostbusters. 
So she has the ingenious plan to, you want to take it from here? She puts a recording thing on Slimer's back and sends him to their interdimensional hell prison for ghosts. <laughs> Leaving Slimer, the real pot, the first thing that happens is he almost gets raped by a tentacle hentai monster. That's true. That is, that happens. He's chased by giant evil dead rape tentacle plant vegetation things. Uh, then almost stabbed and shot by, uh, they feel kind of racist with the bandolero and the knife goblins. They, who talk, he hears, that's where Slimer hears him. Proteus is gonna. He got us in here. He's gonna get us out. We'll get Proteus. Isn't this great plot structure that we just happened to dump information when you? And he makes the chase out, and he like as a like stupid like wigging out and you know before he goes through. And there's a scene where Janine's got the proton pack aimed at the fucking uh, thing. Don't even think and they just zip right back in. Which, yet again, you gave me shit for thinking about uh, the pros and cons of how you use this equipment. If you shoot the containment unit... You blow it up. Yeah, uh, that happened in the film, and it was very, very bad. In the film, they so, shut the power off. They that's true, the, but, like, if you, but if you shoot the... It's going to still blow. It's very bad. And, it's dangerous. And, you, and if you have a threat on the level of Gozer, and then you expedite... That. That's just going to make the series of events even worse. Thankfully, that does not occur, and we have Janine uh, track the signal. And here's the thing that's interesting about all this. Yeah, they said he's got the Ghostbusters in the Eerie. And it's just a building. building. Basically, he's rented office space. He has a receptionist and everything. Well, he he built his office space interdimensionally in the unlisted 13th floor. Well, you know where he built it? He built it in the Hall of Mirrors from Nightmare on Street 3. Yeah, I, with the, those rules, too. I got the, that hardcore vibe as oh, soon yeah. as we're and watching he had the that. the flesh, the red tones. It really did. Yeah, I, that, it's the same year, but there's no way. No, there's that no they, way, because that animation the, the turn right, Yeah, the turnaround animation, there's no way that would have been applicable. Um, the fact, char- it could have been the other way. Oh my somebody god! Somebody could have known somebody animated like doing storyboards uh, and like, hey, that Frank, sounds cool. Frank Darabont. Frank Darabont, you stealing son of a bitch. He did that. He he was a big uh, RGB fan. <laughs> he watched the uh, episode and got uh, grand designs on rewriting Wes Craven's script for Dream Warriors. So Proteus is an interesting character because he's a complete footnote in the history. Say, is he? Is he interesting? Well, hold hold out. Um, when he first ar- uh, shows up, uh, he kind of takes a bunch of different, way more interesting forms. But then he shows up and he's wearing a fucking toga and he's got like, you know, blonde mullet and... He looks like like your stereotypical like Greek god kind of you know yeah anglified Greek god. But here's the thing: a few years ago, and if you'll look up here on the wall uh, on the Black Lodge, I have mm-hmm. a rack of comic books, all Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters. There is a series called Ghostbusters Get Real. It's like in the middle of the rack right here. Okay. And in that, you have an interdimensional... Basically, you have Multiverse of Madness, but with Ghostbusters. So you have the the real Ghostbusters crossover with the IDW Ghostbusters, which are, for the lack of a better term, are kind of supposed to be the movie Ghostbusters, but they're really not. But in this, the villain is Proteus. 
That had to be just fan service for like deep cut real Ghostbuster fans. Band. Does he actually do shit in that one? Oh, the plot is a lot more involved okay. in in the comic, but uh, I highly recommend the IDW series just uh, as a rule of thumb. And in the heyday of like when there was no new movies, like that shit kept me going every every you know month. Yeah. They'll go in Wednesday to S and G Comics, which uh, unfortunately uh, has been bought out by other people. Uh, that was my jam, going, uh, getting my file, and in particularly the the book I looked forward to most was IDW's Ghostbusters, and now they don't have the license anymore, and they've they've moved on to, you know, other pastures, and I I don't I'm interested He's tearing to see, up people. It's sad. Interested to, to see him. where they're going to go because this this run that they did it was uh, it was truly fantastic. Now I want to take over right here. Take over. You gave the whole big rundown about a whole comic book series. I'm going to talk about the entirety of his appearance on the show. He flashes some animal forms, takes the the white version of like a Greek god, says a couple lines. Janine shoots the mirror and he kind of zaps. It lights up, blinds him, breaks the mirror, and he's gone. Yeah, and I think it took me longer to say that than it did to watch that. It was so anticlimactic. Just bam. We're not even going to pretend they're in danger. Let's spit out the fucking Ghostbusters. But he's like, they even said he's an elder god on the level of Gozer. Uh, yeah, he's a Joe. He's the, he's the glass jaw of uh, fucking. Oh, gla- glass Joe from. Glass uh, Joe from, from uh, Mike Tyson's punch out of the Ghostbusters world. Yeah, they they definitely did him better justice in the comic than they they did in this episode, but ah, I, I mean, there there's worse. I liked for the most part. I liked the episode, uh, the build up to it, and it, it was interesting, kind of focusing the, the on the design of the office where she kind of attacks uh, or attacks the door when there's like a ghost. Janine, not really ghosts, but you know, it's... Also, another thing that we didn't really touch on, at the very beginning of this episode, we have a sort of a prologue where the Ghostbusters are in, they're like a library. It's fighting, like, ghosts of Frankenstein's monster, Jekyll yeah, all these yeah. literary ghosts brought to life. That that was cool. Go- monster ghost crabs, oh, reference. They, they, Who would have thought they'd be so mean? Like, just the most ludicrous things ever, like... Not only exist, but are imbued with a living soul that gets to be tormented in their interdimensional hell prison. Uh, one thing I think that I want to lay out, unless you have something to add, before we uh, render our verdict on this episode, is that there is a shower scene. Oh my god, yeah. And it rains frogs. I don't understand... I know that there's like the the biblical... The biblical thing, I, but of, it's coming out of a faucet... I think the ghost just wanted to get her naked because she tosses the, ca- the the towel. It is implied she's naked. They want to leer her naked body. And I, I don't know. The frogs are just, again, I think that might be, again, a racial thing with the Jews and the plagues. Oh, my God. Dead. dude! Ah, that really just could, that that came to me as I was talking about it. I'm like. The plagues uh, of Egypt. That would mean it would have to be from the writers, not the animators. I don't know. <sighs> There's yeah. one mega mic on the staff, you know, somewhere doing you know well, storyboard. Listen, we, we we're not gonna we're not getting politics. I'm joking. We're we're, we're not we're, we're yeah but we're not. They we're, didn't mean anything actually. And it, well, I I I I agree that they probably didn't. But we 
whether or not like they were trying, it may have been an instance of them trying to do something more, more highbrow and not having the, uh, the avenue to really flesh that idea out. But Janine popped that pussy in the episode. Love it. I imagine what's over off the screen. Okay. So what's your verdict on this episode? Busting makes me feel good. Even though the end is so dumb. Everything, my only flaw with that is how quickly and without even breaking a sweat that they're dispatched. Egon does not say it buries the needle, although he does hold up the PK emitter and it is smoking. <laughs> it is going so crazy. You, you would think that would have been a more apt time for him to say Yeah, that, that would have made sense. Something big is happening on the level of Gozer the Gozerian. This episode... Busting made me feel good. Yes, I mean, and it's not perfect, but for the time being, of the four episodes that have been covered on this podcast, we're running sort of fifty fifty. Don't tell me I haven't heard the new episode. We're co- we're doing this before December first. I've got a, <laughs> but now I know that he likes one and hates one in the other episode. Or not? Hate, I don't say hate. I, no, it, I haven't outwardly hated any of these. Uh, now, if we did the Slimer centric episodes, all of the, them the, no. the, with the bad shitty animation, uh, those all suck. Okay, well, before we close the containment unit, we got to use the randomizer app to decide the next two episodes we're going to be covering on You Just Got Busted. So let me bring this up real quick. My little dingus is hard. (laughs) I'm excited. Oh, well... If I can find the fucking app, uh, this will... So much hentai on your phone. What's wrong with you? And 3D animated sex games. All right. All right, you just got busted. We're going to spin number one right now. Jesus. 80s toy gun. There's 140 something episodes of Wilfred. Episode 88. All right, we're going to spin one more time. And 126. Let me look up real quick what these episodes are. Episode 88 is The Copycat. Hmm. That is from Season 3. Episode 126, that is Busters in Toyland. And that is from Season... Looks like Season 5, maybe? I vaguely think I might remember that one. And I'm not saying it's a good thing. But, you know, I don't know. It's been years. Uh, I'm... I don't remember this for sure, but I think Busters in Toyland is one of the few episodes that has Lewis in it. Oh. So we'll we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. That's going to wrap us up for this episode. It's been a lot of fun, and we'll be back to fulfill all your paranormal elimination and podcasting needs very soon. Till then, the Rants from the Black Lodge podcast can be found on a multitude of platforms, including Spotify and Apple Podcasts, so go give us a sub right now. You can follow us on social media at Rance Block uh, at Rance Black Lodge. And for the love of Slimer, go to our web store at rantarmy.com. Buy a t-shirt, a mug, or a sticker. For Fat Tony, this is Brandon A. Lane signing off. Till next time, Rant Army, keep busting.